everyone, and welcome to The Mind Behind It. My name is Huda. And I am Sahil. I'm Dr. Karen Stoltzner. So I'm a linguist, and contrary to popular belief, linguists don't just speak lots of languages and translate and, and do things like that. So I, I study the science of language, but I do a lot of different things, wear a lot of different hats. I run a podcast called Monster Talk with my co-host Blake Smith, and I also have been writing books and short stories over the, the past 20 years now, researched a lot of interesting topics from language and culture and history through to paranormal claims and uh, science and skepticism. So kind of a weird hybrid of lots of uh, different things that I like to do. Okay. Right, great. So do you want to know how our morning has been? <laughs> sure. <laughs> Well, I came off a night shift, so I'm very groggy right now and I have not showered yet. I literally just got up out of bed and then my cleaner was cleaning the house and we're like, the dogs are barking in the background, our neighbors are mowing the lawns and there's vacuuming inside. So we're like, what do we do? So we are now sitting in Sahil's car. I thought you were in a car. (laughs) And I think this might be the best recording studio we've ever had. We just realized. (laughs) I've got the dogs barking. I've got the neighbors. I've got the same thing going on. So I'm sitting in my... We can't hear anything though. Well, I've I've banished the five-year-old and and the husband, but I'm in a living room. So... Okay. I have to ask you a question straight away, uh, Karen. Like, you know what really interests me are sayings, proverbs, something... You just said, oh, I wear different hats. Where did that come from? Like, was it just a guy who was wearing five hats and someone was like, dude, you're so talented? (laughs) Uh, Well, I think that's another expectation of linguistics too, that I know the uh, etymology and the history and origins of every single phrase and every single word. I disappoint in that regard because uh, if you give me a topic, I can go and research it. But uh, otherwise, Mm -hmm. like everyone else, I have to look up the etymology of, of different phrases. So, you know, each phrase has its own history and background and it's very complicated. And so I'm not a walking encyclopedia at all. That's all right. I'm one of those people that uses those in that, I don't know what you call them. Sayings. Sayings, yeah. I use them a lot. And I use very Australian ones sometimes as well. And I have to explain. So Sahil's always like, where the hell... (laughs) Where did that even come from? Australian ones are really colourful. So he might have gone back and looked at some of my articles. uh, Unfortunately, my father passed away late last year and he was a real ochre, as we'd say. The language that he used was very old-fashioned, broad Australian English, kind of like Steve Irwin, but a lot Mm -hmm. older than that. Australian English has just got some really interesting, colourful sayings and uh, hopefully they'll stick around. There are a lot of people recording all of these sayings. and What's a saying that you remember your your father saying a lot? One that I've written about was where he would talk about someone not working in an iron lung, (laughs) which goes back to... In an iron lung. So so it goes back to maybe the, the 1950s where there were outbreaks of polio in Australia and we didn't have a vaccine at that time. So some people who had their lungs severely affected by this infection would have to spend some time in an iron lung so that this iron lung would do the work for them and help them to breathe. So that saying's basically saying someone's so lazy that even something that uh, could help them do something, they still couldn't manage it. Uh, You're someone so lazy they couldn't punch their way out of a wet paper bag, things like that. Oh, yeah. I love but that his... one. That's such an intense one with so much meaning. 
<laughs> it's very graphic, bag. isn't it? Just picturing someone trying yeah. to do that. I mean, you can't say that without trying to picture someone punching their way out of that bag. <laughs> and like, it sounds like a heavy it, thing to do. But it also is like very fucking useless. Like, if you can't get yourself out of a wet paper bag, you are you're failing. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So it's a great phrase. And my husband is uh, American. We've been together about 10 years and he's picked up a lot of these terms now too. It's at the point now where I've been here for so long, it's hard to remember what people might say in Australia or what people say here. And But I mean, every single Mm -hmm. day, in this country, I'm asked, "Where are you from? Uh, yeah, know, how long have you been accent. here?" It's a little, yep. little bit. Would you you've... can, you can hear me pronouncing "ours" occasionally, which is a very American yep. feature of, but uh, it's of English. Also, a very American thing to ask people where they're from. They love doing that because I, I lived in the states for about six years. So you are in Denver, oh, yeah, Colorado. You, you guys uh, had a tough couple of weeks with oh, the shooting. Oh, gee, yes, yeah. I mean, tough couple of. Years. Uh, I've actually been working on something else at the moment about uh, gun control and gun violence in the United States. And I mean, oh. it's a it's a problem. It's been around for a very long time. Whether it's shootings in a supermarket or school shootings mm-hmm. or shootings in a church or cinema, Colorado's certainly been hit a lot. We had the Aurora shooting uh, in the past, and mm-hmm. we recently had the Boulder shooting, and of course there there was the Columbine shooting. And so yeah. you could think, oh, Colorado's really hit. Unfortunate reality is that there's a shooting every single day in the United States, hundreds of shootings mm-hmm. every year, and they're not yeah. doing anything about it. I mean, there have been some horrendous shootings of school children aged five and six. There was a, a case going back a few years ago in uh, Newtown, Connecticut, and nothing was done then. So I'm just really concerned about that. Uh, nothing's going to be so, done now. Uh, I don't know if you ever had a chance to watch uh, Sasha Baron's and it's funny because um, Sasha Baron Cohen's uh, kind of docuseries was called This is America and you wrote God Bless America. So it's interesting. Mm. But did you ever get a chance to watch that where he kind of pitches the idea of giving four-year-old guns to protect themselves? No, and I haven't were seen senators. that. Oh, you have to see it because there are Republican senators who he interviews. Obviously, he's disguised himself as part of the Israeli <laughs> MI6. And he kind of goes in saying, we have this program in Israel and I think you should have it in the States where four or five year olds should be given proper guns. And he had these like videos, mm-hmm. uh, training videos for the kids. And the senators were on board. They were completely yeah, and, on board. And I totally believe that. I have to go and watch that. But uh, there have been shootings of, I think it, Kids as young as two, there was a little girl who was two years old, died about 10 years ago when her five-year-old brother shot her. Uh, I mean, it's in some parts of the country. So I'm not saying that this happens necessarily in San Francisco or in New York City, Mm -hmm. but in many parts of the country, people grow up with guns. In fact, my husband, I think he he did some kind of uh, gun course when he was in what we would call primary school. And that was just mm. kind of like doing a woodwork course or something like that that we might wow. do in Australia. And uh, But yeah. he grew up in rural Colorado and uh, really they, you know, were playing with guns like they were playing with dolls and, and other toys at that point. It's just so embedded in the culture. that's It's normalised and it's absolutely yeah. not in other parts of the country, uh, but it's a... Uh, it's a real problem. It's a real sickness here. And it has been yeah. for a very long time. This particular thing that I was, uh, I'm writing right now is because my husband and I had a guy pull a gun on us about 10 oh. years ago. And uh, so it's a long story, but so it was um, 
an incident of a road rage. <laughs> wow. Wait, 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 wow. wait. You know what? Screw everything else. <laughs> Let's just talk about guns. <laughs> well, I think it, that it is... That is madness. Well, just... I think the thing about guns is it's a very topical issue. And I think for an Australian audience... You know, we just don't understand the logic behind those things and why guns are still not banned in America. And mm. they, there is the bureaucracy part of America that I think a lot of Australians don't understand, the government structure that Australians don't understand. So I think it's really important to talk about, you know, how hard it actually is to turn things around when it comes to gun control in America. Well, there have been gun laws in the past and there was one that, that uh, was, was pretty comprehensive and was allowed to die out back in about 2004. But this all goes back to the Second Amendment and the idea that people should have the right to bear arms so that they, in case that there's a, a tyrannical government and they need to protect themselves. So it goes back to the, the Revolutionary War. So there's this long history of uh, Americans think, well, thinking, well, we need guns to protect ourselves from the government. But uh, that's not really how things are politically anymore. There, there aren't militias. In those days, they had you know, people who were just really representing themselves and protecting themselves uh, against the government. But that's not necessary anymore. And... I think half the country wants gun control and the other half want to keep their guns. And uh, you know, a lot of semi-automatic weapons that people have, like the ones which are used in school shootings and supermarket shootings, they're not the kinds of guns that the average person should have. Or it's not the kind of gun that you would take hunting. I mean, these yeah. have the power, a mass killing power to be able to kill multiple people just in, in minutes. And uh, no one needs yeah. those. But we unfortunately have a history in Australia of uh, problems too when we go back to Martin Bryant back in the 90s about 96 and all of the people that he shot in Tasmania at Port Arthur and then recently the uh, incidents in uh, New Zealand as well back in 2019 where there were those shootings several uh, yes the Christchurch shootings at several uh, mosques and I think places of worship for Islamic people so you know in no way is it as severe as it is in in the United States, but we do see shades of yeah. it in Australia. And the guy who carrying out the Christchurch shootings, he was influenced by white supremacists, which were primarily based in America. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, it was an Australian guy too. So he couldn't do the shootings in Australia because of the gun laws, which were introduced after Port Arthur, the massacre there. So he had to take his misery to New Zealand. So Karen, we can't talk about the general population, right? Because I personally don't know many people who carry guns in America, and I'm kind of glad I don't. But you know, you said your husband did a course in in gun handling. Uh, was it mm-hmm. no? He did a course in was it gun handling or it was uh, gun gun safety. Uh, so it was just really learning safety. how to, to store a weapon, how to uh, yeah. just to be careful around weapons, and that is quite a common thing here in in various parts of the country. Where again, people grow up with guns, and you've got some companies that make guns for kids. You know, my first yeah. rifle. Yeah, <laughs> they're, they're aimed what? at children. And is it like uh, the Lego company? They're making guns now. Well, what's going on? I don't even oh, know well, this. That they, they make even guns for paint kids. Them, they even paint them in kids' kitties' colors, like you know, bright that pink and rich. bright blue and rainbow colors. And it's it is just so endemic. It's so normalized here. Yeah, it's okay. and there are I don't more. Know if many people know this. You know, like, the, we didn't. You know the saying: "Oh, there are more sheep than people in New Zealand, and there are more kangaroos in Australia than people. Well, there are more mm-hmm. guns than people in the United States." Well, this yeah. is where I, I want to ask Karen this question, and I don't know, Karen, if you can answer this question, but sure. 
if we look at all the gun shootings that have happened in mm-hmm. America at least, primarily, and I think I, I can generalize here, they've been carried out by men. It's a very male thing to mm. have a gun. White men. <laughs> oh, really? White it's men specifically, yeah. Mm. Okay. You were talking well, about yeah, the white, white supremacy and you're spot on. I mean, it's, it's white men. Uh, I mean, they're the, you've got lots of problems with guns in America, uh, lots of homicides, lots of shootings. But when it comes to mass shootings, they're perpetuated by white men. So it is. What about in the ghetto towns? Uh, well, you might have a higher incidence of homicides and, and shootings yeah. amongst the, the black the marsh, community. Yeah. But definitely mm-hmm. when it comes to mass shootings, it, it's it's white men. I mean, it's kind of like falling down. Have you ever seen that movie with Michael Douglas? Oh, yes. Going yeah, back yeah, to the, the 80s. I think that that kind of typifies that, oh, white man having a bad day and there was that case in Georgia, which happened a few weeks ago, where that guy went into a, a spa and a, a massage parlor, as we call it, mm. and uh, billed a bunch of people, mostly Asian women. And yeah, his the, the reports came back that basically he'd had a bad day. I mean, if this wow. had been oh, yeah. a cool. if this had been a <laughs> black guy that had done this or, or anything like that, I mean, he would have been killed by the police. There's just so much mm. systemic racism here as well. Well, yeah, that's the other thing I actually want to talk about, racism. It's a big topic at the moment. Australia is really great at subtle racism. Mm. When I lived yes, in America, it, over, it over. was just on my face, right? It was like easy to deal with because I'm like, yeah, okay, I know what yeah. they're doing. It's pretty clear. They were Overt very... racism as well, like yeah. sometimes yeah. as oh, a joke. Yeah. They yeah. say it as a joke. Yeah. It was really funny. There was this one time I was going back to India and at the airport there was this guy who was doing the security thing, right? I always get checked for security, obviously. Me too. <laughs> I don't know why you Profiling. I do. I, I oh. look Arabian. Uh, yeah. You look Arab. First, firstly, get that right. <laughs> do, do not look Arabian. I just thought Arabian sounds cool. Like You're a, just like talking a princess. to a fucking linguist. For fuck's sake. <laughs> it's okay. Jesus Christ. So anyways, and I had this t-shirt which had this car taxi kind of made in it. It was like the Robert De Niro movie, like uh, Taxi Driver. And he's like, yeah, you, your people love that, don't they? Your people. It was very... Yeah, it was very subtle. And I didn't even realize it when it happened. Mm-hmm. And then, like, all this aggression came in later. I'm like, oh, I should have said something. Why do I feel weird about this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's this well, realization uh, that it was so d- done so quickly. I went, whoa, yeah. whoa, whoa. Oh, hold on. Give me time for the racism. Yeah, and that's a phrase that has been used a lot here by politicians referring to you know, various groups of society where politicians will say, you people. And, you know, and it's... Yeah. Absolutely a marginalizing us and them kind of a term. So, but it is, you're right, it's like a microaggression. It's one of those things that you hear. And in the moments, you're kind of engaged with this person having to talk and you're in a, they're in a position of power and authority too. And uh, so you just kind of went through the motions. And I can fully understand how afterwards you must have been pretty pissed off about that and, and uh, churning over that. Uh, I mean, it's absolutely more of an overt form of racism. And uh, you know, I see, shades of uh, what's happening here in the United States in Australia too. And I think Australia, unfortunately, is a little bit behind on these things. Australia is really white still. I think that America is more multicultural and uh, multilingual as well. So America, I mean, there's Mm. absolutely so much racism and sexism and all the isms here in the States, but I think that there's more awareness here than there is in Australia. And I think it's just now becoming more of of a concern. It's actually... 
Funny that you say that because I, well, I mean, it's I, I can't really say much because I have not been outside of, you know, I've been, as in I have been outside of Australia. You just but went as to in, Africa. <laughs> but and as in Pakistan. I haven't been to another white kind of dominating country. Like right. a Western Africa, country. Africa, definitely. No, well, yeah, I know. <laughs> South, South Africa is South Africa. Like, South Africa. <laughs> oh, South Africa is, is bad. South Africa is just very unsettling. I felt very unsettled in South Africa because it's so clear. Yeah, it was so clear. The, the you know, the distinction between yeah. the two. And even in their schooling system, there's literally schools that are for Afrikaans. Wow, that's pretty. Yeah, cool. I Anyways. haven't been there. I've got friends uh, living there, and. You know, I know apartheid is is long gone, but I'm sure I can certainly imagine how that uh, sentiment mm. is still there. And uh, yeah. it's racism still around. There are a lot of people who say here, "Oh, we're in a post-racial society," and that's bullshit. Racism is everywhere. You know, I, as mm. an immigrant, I'm a white woman. I'm very privileged, but I see shades of it all the time. And uh, Sahil, you were mm-hmm. talking about living in the states and being asked every day or being. Uh, asked where are you from and the people like to engage uh i think that americans are often very polite and uh, they love to find out where you're from but it can certainly get you down when you've been living in a country for 16 years like i have yeah. and every single day you have someone going oh where are you from i love your accent and implying that they <sighs> don't have an accent it really doesn't make you feel like you don't belong like you're not a part of things you know, like you're marginalised and living mm. on the edge of society. But again, that's for me. I'm I'm otherwise very privileged in many ways, and and I check myself constantly. A lot of people living here, I think, just aren't aware of their privilege, and uh, if that's raised, so, uh, then they, they become yeah. very fragile about it. We've had this conversation about privilege on a million occasions. In one of our podcasts, we even talked about it because million. That's another word people just throw around. Million. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I, I actually say million. On a million occasions. <laughs> like a million. million. <laughs> so it's trying to emphasize we, what she's saying. <laughs> I get it. What As about in, hundreds? What about why don't we go lower anymore? <laughs> On three three episodes. Well, yeah, so we did talk about it as a, as a whole. And it's one of those things that people don't recognize what they have when they have it. So, yes. you know, it's a very, oh, yeah. yeah, it's a very invisible sort of thing that we have that we don't realize. So we get Absolutely. forgetting that there's so much around us that, you know, we are blessed for. Oh, yeah, um, we, we just don't see it. And, and so that's okay if you're ignorant about it. But then once someone brings it to your attention and says, look, you know, you, you are privileged for these reasons because of your background, because of the color of your skin, because of your gender, your sexuality. And if they don't accept it or understand it, or they're not open to that, then you know, we're, we're talking about a, a problem. Yeah. There are so, plenty of people well, who don't recognize it. What are your thoughts on what happened with the Meghan Markle thing then? Because I think a lot of people were like, well, she's quite privileged. Me. I said that. It's only because, and you can you can probably rip me apart, Karen, and I'm more than ready for it. Is <laughs> I just felt like, I mean, going into the royal family, like mm-hmm. we all know. I don't know why it was such a surprise that the royal family is racist. Like we look at colonialism. Like, mm-hmm. I guess I come from India. You know, the British, colonial British, which which have remnants now in the royal family were racist. So mm-hmm. when Meghan Markle has been talking about this for years now, like, oh, they're racist, oh, they're racist. I just felt the whole interview thing with Oprah was, I don't know, it just felt awkward because there's a lot of privilege there as well in the sense like their and whole issue Oprah. with... 
Yeah, with money as well. Like how they didn't have enough money. I'm like, yeah, but how about you go do a job? How about you find a job? Have you <laughs> thought about that? Because most people in the world have to still do that to end their yeah. money. It's a really complicated situation. Uh, she absolutely is privileged in many ways. She's a very wealthy woman. And I think that they're benefiting now from Diana's, the money that uh, she left trust, to, yeah, to Harry. Trust fund. Yep. And I think they just signed some kind of Netflix deal for $100 million. Yeah. And so they're, they're and never going to be... Now, now Harry's on the board of a tech company as well as an advisor. Oh, yeah. They'll, they'll never on. be wanting for anything. She did come from more humble beginnings though she's got a multiracial background i think her, her father is white and her mother is uh, black and mm -hmm. uh so i i don't she she was really born into money but at the same time i think her father was a producer and he made a bit of money not quite mm -hmm. anything like what she has now i think she's definitely privileged certainly not as privileged as the royal family if we want to compare her to them and uh i've seen friends of mine on Facebook say things like, oh, she knew what she was going into. Yeah, and we've seen what happened to Fergie and we've seen what happened to Di and they've come forward with their stories. I have no idea just how much exposure she'd had to that beforehand. I don't know if she just thought, oh, I'm going to be a princess. You know, I'm going to be the Duchess of Sussex. And mm. who knows what kind of romantic notions she had about joining the royal family and what it was going to be like and what the reality would be like. I'd say she had very yeah. little idea. I mean, they would have to be one of the most, if not the most privileged family on earth. And so mm. I, I don't think she really knew what she was going into. And, you know, coming from America too, even though there's a hell of a lot of racism here, it's difficult to know just how racist it can be in England or how racist it can be in Australia. The way that uh, you know, white people live in Australia or in England is very different to the way that white people live here. I think there's more integration. So perhaps she just expected she was going to get the, the royal treatment and the treatment that she receives as a, a Hollywood actress. And, and she just didn't really know what she was in for. But there are lots of different ways you can slice this and look at this. But uh, I'm certainly in, in that article that I wrote, I talked about the, the classism and uh, the, the racism and the sexism that she experienced too. So I think someone like mm -hmm. Kate Middleton, which people still mm -hmm. seem to call her to this day, I think she was a lot more prepared for the royal family yeah. than uh, Meghan Markle was. But, you know, we all know the British tabloids, what they're like. And just uh, I, I can understand Harry after what he went through with his mother, that he was seeing this history repeating itself with his wife mm -hmm. and his uh, child. You know, it, it can be difficult to have empathy for wealthy people, for sure. But uh, I, I think I'm just really calling a spade a spade and saying there's obvious racism and classism here and, yeah. and that we can agree upon. Which is probably helping sort of push the problem as well, I guess. I mean, you know, as much as we see it as, oh, you know, there's a bunch of wealthy, you know, well-liked people that are suffering from this and they shouldn't be suffering because they've got everything else. Yeah. Um, I think at least it brings forward the idea that this stuff still exists and it still happens to even the people that are wealthy and even people that are well liked oh yes yeah um, yeah and i think the element of nationalism too oh she's the uh, american divorcee and so i think that there oh, yeah. is this snootiness i've been to the uk as well and some people do tend to look down on people from other countries and yeah you know, oh yeah i did a show in edinburgh and it was so funny the difference between scotland going back to england like it was like two different right. worlds because scottish oh, yeah. people were really really nice and they're they're, mm -hmm. they're kind of like 
Scottish people were like Australians with like a funny accent. That's what I, I thought of them. <laughs> That's like what they think real, of us they, too. <laughs> yeah, but, but, but something that I just realized when you were talking about it is that article you wrote is actually quite educational for an American reader. Because I just realized that the American reader is very different to an Australian or a British reader when it comes to something like this. Because we... Oh, yeah. And this is what bothered me. How in Australia people still wake up at like three in the morning to watch the royal wedding. And I'm like, do you realize mm. we're still paying taxes to them? <laughs> like yeah, the I, Commonwealth. I remember being a kid and we were doing one of those uh, referendums to to decide whether we wanted to break away from the royal family or not and, and from England. Yeah. And uh, I was kind of hoping that that was going to happen and shocked when it didn't happen, shocked after all these decades on. It. I I would love to. I mean, now we're getting into a political territory, so uh, you know, just yeah, this personal right. personal opinion. But yeah, I would love to see Australia break away from the Commonwealth and uh, get on its own two feet. I mean, it happened here in the United States hundreds of years ago, and then we can go back to uh, the Revolutionary War and talk about guns and again. But uh, yeah, it's, it's certainly it's very different for Australians to to look at these things, and and I have members of my family who really get into the royal family and always talk about how lovely the Queen is and things like that. And, I know uh, there are people that really <laughs> love the Queen. Well, Harry loves the Queen as well. He said she was the only one who kind of you know was always on his side, apparently. And he might mm. also feel compelled because she is the that's what the, I was going to say the head of the household. She's the the matriarch. Uh, so who who knows mm-hmm. what kinds of dynamics yeah. there are in that family i just don't know but it, it's just encompassing a lot of different uh forms of prejudice with with what uh megan markle's gone through uh but but again it's kind of tempered by her privilege it's just really really difficult to comment on everything <laughs> i struggle a lot with political correctness i really yeah. really do so yeah. how does a person be politically correct but not have to uh filter out what they think or filter out how they express themselves? Like, how do you reach that balance? Politically correct is an interesting term because I think that it's often used by people who are on the right. It's kind of been picked up by conservatives. And uh, so it's kind of used as a criticism in in many ways to say, oh, you know, you have to be politically correct. So uh, really, it's difficult to know exactly what experiences you've had without hearing about some examples but uh, I think really the the book that I wrote on the offensive where I talk about uh, prejudice and discrimination language it's all, all really comes down to being polite to people being respectful to people understanding what's offensive and why it's offensive but it's not about censoring people it's not about preventing people from having their say or saying oh you can't say anything yeah. anymore it's it's not about that i think it's about just being mindful about things that are, are hurtful and offensive to various groups of people again from the, the perspective that i have as a linguist is about describing how people talk it's not telling people how to talk so i don't come in and say oh yeah. you shouldn't say that you know that okay. that wouldn't be very scientific to tell people how to talk i so i always wonder this you know, people always talk about being sort of equal, right? They say, mm-hmm. oh, you know, I want equal this, I want equal that. But then we also have this whole thing where we kind of differentiate ourselves as well by saying, right. you know, African-Americans or he, she, like all that sort of stuff, which mm-hmm. I personally get what they're trying to do. But right. at the t- same time, I think that that's the thing that's creating the segregation in itself. Absolutely understand when we use terms to identify ourselves uh, that, that show our heritage to say, well, I'm 
an Australian American or I'm a, a black person, I'm a, a gay man, that kind of thing. So kinds of labels, that's how we that's how we self-identify, that's how we see ourselves. So those are re- very important terms. I can see too right. how sometimes these terms can be marginalizing as well. People here who will say things like, oh, I don't see color. Uh, I'm, I'm colorblind. Mm-hmm. Then people of color, well, not only is that probably bullshit, but people of color think, well, that's offensive because I'm black and I want you to see me as a, a black person. And this is important to me. So you've got all of these just crisscrossing different ways to, to look at things again. I think ultimately it's up to the individual as to how they want to be seen and, and described, how they want to present themselves. Um, uh, it's a matter of communicating with people to depending on what pronouns you choose or uh, how you want to present yourself and just to be polite to people and to, to listen to what their preferences are. You know, I, I just think if nothing else is just politeness. Yeah, I, I think that's a good way of putting it is just being kind and polite in general, which I think is with social media in general. Like, I don't understand why people love hating so much. It's, it's funny. I was reading an yeah. article on how people bond when they hate on someone. And that's supposed oh, yeah. to be one of the strongest emotional bonds. Tribalism. I mean, we see it on so many different levels. I mean, uh, we can see people who are very similar to us. And then if they're the same skin color as us, then we might differentiate by all oh, that person's fats or that person's stupid. Uh, I mean, we start going down the line of, of differences across people. And I think you're right. Look at the school bullies the kind of crap that the kids deal with if you're different in any way, if you're smart, if you're fat, if you're poor. I mean, people will find that that weakness yeah, and they'll they will they'll tease and bully and that it's, uh, you know, often overt. It can, can often be very uh, kind of hidden as well. And we've all suffered to various degrees and some things that I write about in my book like ageism may be something that everyone experiences, even white men if they they live to a certain age. But yeah, certainly there are a lot of people who go through most of their lives without uh, experiencing any kind of prejudice and discrimination. But many people do. And if you don't experience it yourself, it can really be hard to identify it or to understand it. And I also think like, unfortunately, and again, this is my opinion and I can be sued for it, (laughs) uh, but it's in fashion now to take offence. You're just normal and normal's not enough anymore. <laughs> you have to be someone, you have to be something. And it's this whole struggle right now in the world to be different. Mm-hmm. Because if you're just a normal individual, who gives a shit? <laughs> like there's this pressure on everyone, especially kids. I think it can feel like you just can't win in life, no matter what. But certainly uh, when it comes to offensiveness, there was a big movement here for years with the Trump administration where people who were concerned about politeness and offensiveness were deemed to be social justice warriors and snowflakes and Trump was really upheld as being the kind of guy who'd just tell it like it is and straight talker and all that kind of thing so uh yeah I mean it can be seen as a weakness to be offended oh you you take offense too easily so we have all these different phrases in in English talking about how sticks and stones will break my bones but words will never hurt me that that nursery rhyme Or then you can look at it in terms of, well, words really can hurt. Words can sting and they can wound and they can cut and they can burn. And words matter. It's the way you project yourself. It's the only way we project ourselves. We can't do it any other way. So when we are talking, you know, because now we can communicate via social media and words and photos Mm -hmm. and all that sort of stuff is literally the only way to do it. Yeah. Um, 
I was actually saying to Sahil a while ago that our things come out automatically, our innermost, you know, and it comes out in the most subtle ways, mm-hmm. like you were talking about earlier, these people, those people, or, you know, yeah, just it, making a distinction about someone. It could be really difficult to see the different isms in the way that we talk because yeah. they're so embedded, they're really normalized and internalized yes. from an early age. And, uh, yep. you know, I just think about a lot of things that happened to me when I was a kid and all the yep. examples of sexism. And you just kind of brush these things off when you're a kid, but they, they stay yes. with you, the things that people say. And then as I've gotten they older, do. I've been able to recognize these things more and to think, wow, you know, that teacher that I had in school was a, a, a creep. <laughs> this person yeah. was racist. And, and yet they were just accepted in the day. And so now... I won't say necessarily reinterpreting them, to some extent we are, but also we're uh, being more reflective and being more aware of uh, prejudice in, in language and how it affects us and affects other people. This is where Ora and I were talking about. There's a gap between baby boomers and millennials. Uh, I think mm-hmm. millennials are nowadays called too sensitive or, you know, we're called, we take offense easily, blah, 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 or right. just get on with it. Yeah. And I've been reading a lot about boomers and I'm like, you realize you guys fucked it up for us big time. Yeah. Like, I don't know what boomers are going to realize that, but they literally ha- went through the era of like love, sex and drugs and, you know, had their good times yeah. and, you know, got all the money they could from the government, lived a great life. And now, of course, <laughs> when you're in bliss, when you're in bliss, you don't realize the damage. The, yeah. There's the subtle damages that, to others. Yeah. That to others doing. that we have done. Yeah. And like, oh, yeah. just going back to, you know, how, and I don't, of course, I don't blame my parents, but like, even the way my parents spoke to me when I was a kid, just very mm-hmm. subtle things that I never realized, but now mm-hmm. I do. Oh, yeah. And I have this awareness now, but mm-hmm. if for them, it's just like, come on, move on. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, yeah. But, it, but the, the thing that I find is interesting is, uh, and you're talking about boomers. So my, I've got family members who are actually considered to be boomers, but they're really in terms of their, when they were born, the silent generation. And people forget that they're, they kind of yeah. act like, like boomers too. And yeah, so silent I, I generation would be when? I think it's uh, kind of up to maybe the 1940s. I mean, it's a, it's a very, right. it's yeah. just a social construct. So it's not like there's any kind of hard and fast date for yeah. you know, what is a millennial and everything. Because I'm kind of on the cusp of, of millennials and, and Generation X. And uh, I, mm. I identify mm-hmm. with bits of both. Yep. But uh, yeah, they, they really, ironic thing is that I've had uh, a lot of that, you know, when I was growing up, I'll get over it. Oh, you're too mm. sensitive, that kind of thing. But if you touch their raw, raw nerve, boy, are they offended. Yep. So it's really, you know, <laughs> pot calling the kettle black because people yep. say, oh, you're too sensitive. You know, they've absolutely got things that they're too sensitive about, but they're just not recognizing it. We're, I think, trying to be a bit more aware of ourselves. People, people are really sheltered and they are very insular and they just can't see outside of their own experiences. And I've seen that same kind of toxicity with my family and... No, I'm I'm sick of hearing. Oh, you know, when I was a child, you know. Oh yeah, when I was a school. boy. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I'm like, yeah. that's because Tesla didn't exist. Not my fucking problem. <laughs> and you know, and that's not a reason why. Even though I'm feeling shit, that I have to go to school. These kinds of generation gap has always been around. Older people have always been saying, "Oh, the young are lazy and and they're they're troublemakers and and delinquents and." And, uh, oh, we had it tougher. And, you know, when I was a boy, that, there was an article I read years ago that was about that and really looking at uh, how we're not too different from 
historical societies and uh, you know, people no. have just gone through the same things again and again and again and we just don't learn from our mistakes but I've experienced all of that with my parents too. So Hora, uh, I was thinking I, I want to keep talking so to many her. Questions like I have so many questions. Is it, is it possible Karen to do a part two? Absolutely. I would love that. It's been great That's talking to you guys. Amazing. Because sitting in 30 degree <laughs> I know, heat, it's like 30 degrees. You know, the big message that I got today is like as simple as it sounds but be polite. And I think as soon as you start being polite, you look at someone else's perspective. Like it automatically does that. And I think it's okay to, to fail and to make mistakes too, because we're all human. You know, you know, I, I'm an Indian kid. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> you should be good at everything. Be good at everything. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'm. I make mistakes, and I think it's a, a matter of uh, just being open-minded about these kinds of things and talking to people, and, and you're just trying to look Absolutely. outside of your own experience. Yeah, I think perspective. Uh, I say this a lot, and Sahil always tells me he's like, "You just love throwing around the word perspective." Uh, perspective, such and a millennial I, word. I'm guilty of that too. <laughs> See, it's all about. Have you realized on podcasts, there'll be there's certain words which we keep on using without realizing. Like, I love using the word interesting. He does, even though it's bloody that's boring so it's funny like, i was just gonna say i say interesting way too much so that's interesting it's an interesting <laughs> point i that's so funny it can be difficult to i mean these things just come out automatically like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i think it's a and, sign of being polite actually <laughs> it's interesting I, because no because you don't know what else to say right and you just think but it is interesting but it's also like you're trying to think about it as mm-hmm. you, as the person's talking so it's yeah. a way oh, of yeah. saying it to be like Give me a moment. I'm processing what you're saying. Oh, absolutely. Like your outfit looks interesting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you mean, you, you truly mean that something's you do mean interesting. It. But yeah. you're also having a little pause so that you can formulate your next question. Or, so, yeah, I yeah. do the same. All right. Well, we have to go inside because Sahil's battery is about to die on his computer. Oh. You don't need to tell her that. We are professionals. <laughs> Look, we're sitting Jesus in a car. Fun. We have like... Whatever. We have gone past that, okay? No. I don't I don't want anyone to bring down my self-esteem. Right? Yeah. Oh yeah, I can imagine but, it's getting uh, hot there. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it's actually really nice. Oh. I know, we've had so many good weather can days. Can we not be Australian then talk about the weather? Thank you it was so much. Thank, thank you. Uh, Monster Talk is your podcast, God Bless America, which is fucking awesome, and oh, Language Mysteries you. and Myth. <laughs> great, well you guys have a great weekend. Bye-bye.